Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking some Colorado Rockies and also World Baseball Classic with you here on the show today. Uh, wasn't sure how much of the World Baseball Classic I was going to do, but since it actually matches up with a, a Rockies talking point here, and there's been a little bit of news, we get to continue to have news-based conversations as spring training rolls along, and I will have more in-depth analysis for you on what's gone on down there on the field. In fact, I have a little bit of a conversation about that as it relates to the Jerks and Profar news, which I'm also going to talk about at the end of the show. But let's begin with the World Baseball Classic and Daniel Bard. I'll talk about the game in just a second. Since this is a Rockies podcast, let us begin here. Uh, now, those of you that have heard me before, quick remember, uh, remember <laughs> reminder that I hadn't been watching a ton of the World Baseball Classic before. I'd really been honed in on spring training, and, and that's where my focus had been. But I did flip on the game versus Venezuela. And, uh, you know, not even thinking about, oh, yeah, Daniel Bard it might have an opportunity to pitch here or or Freeland for that matter, though. We knew he wasn't going to start. Right. So just watching the ball game, Great game, by the way. Really good stuff. And then all of a sudden you're back in that mode where it's like, oh, man, the Rockies guy is out there. It's the big stage and he's really eating it. And, you know, there have been versions of this throughout the years. Uh, certainly all-star games, right, have had a similar thing where you really want your guy to perform well when he's out there on the big stage. Of course, this game and these games matter a lot more. We've talked about that before, about how the World Baseball Classic actually very clearly matters if you see the way people are reacting out here. But it was tough to watch. For those of you that didn't watch the ball game, Daniel Bard did not record an out through a couple of wild pitches. He plunked Jose Altuve, who appears to be semi-seriously injured, and coughed up the lead. Didn't record an out, was wild. There was one bit of bad luck after the leadoff walk, where it seemed like with the leadoff walk, he was just kind of a little bit missing his spots. And then the next batter, he totally fooled, jammed him on a slider coming in on his hands, left-handed hitter, just kind of weak swing at it. Uh, surprised, honestly, that it didn't break his back and it produced just a little flare right into no man's land behind the mound in between the pitcher, the shortstop, and the second baseman. That was the one bit of, like, bad luck he got there. You know, if that's maybe a little further up on the barrel, he might have even produced a, a double play right there and he's able to settle in and, and have a perfectly fine, entirely unmemorable inning, right? But after that flare hit, it really fell apart for him, and he wasn't just missing. He was missing his spots by feet, right? He, uh, and I tweeted out, and this actually isn't entirely fair. 
yips are a, a different thing technically. I mean, players will get into you an, an argument about the, the definition of what that is, but it's how it looked and felt. Uh, he really, after a while, it just looked like, I don't know if he couldn't get a grip on the baseball, if it was entirely mental, uh, if it was... Now, now one thing, I was going to leave this to the end, but I'll, I'll just say it now, is... He hadn't pitched in a while, right? And not not only had he not pitched in several days, because when you're at the World Baseball Classic and and now you're in games that matter, right? They're they're only going to be able to use you when they need you. And so, unlike in spring training or you know in the regular season, when your manager will make sure that you don't get rusty, I do think there was some of that. Not only that, he hasn't gotten himself up to full regular season mode anyway. Now that's true of a lot of the guys in in this tournament. So. You know, and a lot of them haven't looked as bad. But just a couple of things to keep in mind that, uh, you know, whether or not it's it's an excuse for or a reason for his performance in this particular game, as we look forward and, you know, ask the question, so are you concerned about the season that Daniel Bard might be in for now? And I would say only a very, 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 very tiny little bit. An outing like that you never want to see, right? It was about as tough to watch as it gets. Right, balls going to the backstop, balls coming in and hitting guys. Uh, just no command control whatsoever. Couldn't throw the baseball where he wanted to. That said, we know that Daniel Bard is better than that. Even in his season of 2020, when he wasn't very good, he was he wasn't doing that. Right, I, I've really never seen him do this particular thing. Again, maybe in, in spring training or backfields games, that, those things do happen a little bit more this time of year because. Well, that's why we we practice. That's what spring training is for, to work out stuff like this. But, oof, right? In the long term, if the next time he goes back out there, uh, you know, he's hitting his spots just fine or or he's got maybe a couple little mechanical things he's got to tighten up or whatever. But if by regular season he looks like himself, then there's nothing to be concerned about there. But it is uh, unfortunate that, you know, I, I had a couple of people saying to me on Twitter, it's just a bummer, man, because I feel like not a lot of people understand how good he is because he plays for the Rockies and they don't watch the Rockies. And you really want to show people how how great th- this guy is and, and what a cool thing that the ball club has. And, you know, for a lot of people, that might have been their first time seeing Daniel Bard in the last couple of years. And not, not, not what you want. Absolutely not what you want. So... That was brutal, but you've got to take it in stride. Um, it's un- I guess it's a good thing that the United States ended up coming back and winning the game, and the grand slam by Trey Turner really does make it so that at the very least, it's not like the story now, right? Until the next World Baseball Classic, the why did... And even already, it was starting to become one uh, on the broadcast of why did Mark DeRosa stay so long with Daniel Bard? And I, and I got to be, even for Bard, I was a little bit frustrated there. It was clear he didn't have it. But, you know, I was yelling at my TV, get him out of there, you know, and, and he just left him in a, a little too long. And but it, it, it didn't end up costing them the game at the very least. So you can be happy about that, that it, it's not going to become this massive talking point, uh, though it, it still was an unfortunate representation of your Colorado Rockies on the big stage. That's that's for sure. But. We hope for Daniel to, you know, get it back. Uh, as everybody knows here, great guy, great talent, really easy to root for. And, uh, oh, and, and then some people saying, you know, oh, this is going to tank his trade value to the Mets or whatever. And, and actually, 
or, or whoever else. And I do think there's an interesting potential trade partner, obviously, with the Mets because they're now without their closer, right? They, they may be looking for some relief pitching out there. And it would make sense for the Rockies to trade a veteran who's on a slightly larger contract and probably not going to be around for the next at least four or five years as the Rockies try to build a, a new core, right? So there's absolutely some argument to be made there. But I think with this case, like with most cases, not just with the Rockies, but oftentimes you, you tend to make those deals a little closer to the deadline. Now, again, I get with the Mets, it's a specific need, right? And that they may be making calls right now. So to that extent, to people saying, oh, you know, would they really still be interested in this guy after that performance? And you still got to recognize it's one inning, right? He threw quite a few of them last year and was at worst the third best reliever in baseball. So I don't think you can just wave away all those statistics. That would be bad work on the jobs of of the Mets analytics staff if they were to say, well, this guy has been an incredible pitcher for two of the last three years and that third year he was mediocre at worst, right? But we're not going to acquire him because for one inning in a very meaningful, but still an exhibition game in March, you know, he wasn't able to find his release point or whatever it was, especially because it's not really indicative of struggles that Daniel Bard has had before, right? If it was something you thought was going to be a pattern, sure. But ultimately, even the stuff he was throwing, and I did have some people pointing it out to me on Twitter, he's still hitting 98, 99 miles an hour with the fastball. Like I said, during the first at bat, when he was a little closer to the zone and whatnot. He, the sinker had good movement on it. The slider had great movement on it. One of those things, maybe a little bit too much movement on it. My mom did point out that a lot of these guys, she sent me a text, it was Florida. And I've never known if that's a real thing, but almost all of the Rockies' best players over the years really struggled when they go and play in Florida. Obviously, more often Miami than Tampa. But you like Todd Helton's numbers, awful in Miami. Nolan Arenado's numbers were awful in Miami. Troy Tulowitzki's numbers were terrible in Miami. And uh, so, yeah, and, and I, I think there are several pitching equivalents as well. But sure, could be any number of things, right? And now, again, if he, he if we see he's struggling with his command the next several times out, then we may look back at this and say this was the beginning of it. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if we just look back and go, well, that was that was weird. Remember several years ago when Nolan Arenado went over for the baseball, baseball classic? He went like over 20 in the World Baseball Classic. And I think that was right before like the 17 season where he probably should have been the MVP of the league. You know, and, and so... Again, I, I get that these games do matter, but they are still at the time of year when guys aren't always at their tip-top shape, right? So I'm not going to get too concerned about the Daniel Bard thing for those who are like, they got to trade him right now. Even then, I would say any reasonable conversation about him wouldn't boil down to one appearance. That's just, that shouldn't be the case anytime, right? So with any player, you don't judge a position player based on one game, you know, four at-bats. You don't judge a relief pitcher based on one inning, no matter how bad it was. And it was bad, friends. It was bad. But thanks to Trey Turner, big grand slam. That was really awesome. What a ball game. Back and forth. Really, really entertaining stuff. Like I said uh, before, obviously these guys care. Obviously they're out there having a great time uh, and really winning it. You could see the heartbreak on Venezuela when they ended up 
uh, coughing up the lead there. That was that was a tough one, but what a ball game back and forth. Really fun stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch the next one. So going back now to the other big bit of news with the Colorado Rockies, I'm not going to over-talk the Jerks and Profar uh, move specifically with regards to him. Uh, I already did a podcast on that. I, I hope you will go back and take a listen to that. It's also the one where I talked about Sean Bouchard's injury. But as it relates to how some things have played out on the field during spring training so far, I have a, a little bit of an update. And I, and I do have to say that this is after talking to some people about it because, look, I still don't think the signing makes sense. I still don't think it's, it's good um, because I think ultimately it's almost certainly going to mean that they're blocking, if you will. They're taking at-bats away from a younger player who I would rather see get these opportunities. But let me lay out for you the one scenario under which I think all of this can make sense and work out for the Rockies. Now, recognize the caveat here, which is that I think this is both unlikely and a little bit out of character, though I'll, I'll talk about the second thing at the end here. Let me just lay out the scenario first. How would it be a good thing that the Rockies have added Mustakis and Profar, especially if those guys are going to take starting spots, which is looking more and more likely, right? Here's how it plays out. First of all, Profar takes over as your leadoff hitter, and apparently you're starting left fielder because they want to move Chris Bryant over to right to preserve his legs. All of that, fine. Sure, okay. It looks like in center field, then, they're just going to run with Daza and Grichik until maybe Zach Veen arrives. Though, again, they've been a little bit wishy-washy on whether or not they want him in center field. Uh, they've, they've shown a willingness to do it, and they've talked about his ability to do it, but they've also made it very clear that they prefer him in the corners, right? But they just signed Profar to this one-year deal for about $8 million or whatever it is. And so, the again, the, the dollar amount on a one-year deal, who cares? That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't matter. I'm only concerned about the plate appearances here, right? But if you've got those guys in the corners, if, if, if Profar is not even really seen as a guy who... Maybe can play some second, short, and center for you, but really is just a corner guy at this point in his career, which it looks like he probably is, right? Well, now I really don't know where Michael Tolia's at-bats are going to come from. Even if Moustakis is your backup third baseman, it appears to me that what this move means is less playing time, at least in the first part of the season, for Tolia. Now, if... Again, this is the only way I can see making this make work and make sense. And even I'm going to be very frustrated by it. But here's what I would do at this point then. You send Tolia to AAA. That's frustrating. Because, again, I would have, I would have already just made him the everyday starting, whether it's right field, left field, wherever you want to put Chris Bryant, put him there. Put Tolia in the other corner spot. Right? To get the at-bats and to ultimately take over at first base once Crone is either traded or off the roster, presumably at the end of the season as a free agent. If 
Now, Tolia has had an interesting spring. This is, again, why we want to talk about the performance, because he's basically been himself. I wrote about this on Mile High Sports, and then he went out and did the same thing. Like, it's basically, he's still striking out at 30-plus percent. You know, he's among the league leaders, or, or, or camp leaders, if you will, spring training leaders and strikeouts. He's striking out a lot. Not so much. It's not 40-50% to the extent that you're like, God, he doesn't even belong there but a, a healthy 30%, right? But he's also among the league leaders in hits, and he's hit himself several home runs. And again, continues to play good defense. Now, as I've said about the situation with Montero and Jones at third base, all these guys, as much as I want to see them at the big league level, getting that experience and those opportunities, really the most important thing this year is a lot of plate appearances. And if they really think that Tolia and or Montero, and it does look like Nolan Jones, who is leading the league in strikeouts, but is also batting under 100. He's had a, Nolan Jones has had a very, very rough spring. And I think that means that he's got to be in AAA. And that's, that's perfectly reasonable, right? We were kind of leaning that way anyway. And that, again, makes more sense of the Moustakis deal if you've got him on the bench if Montero can start at third, which I really still hope that they will go with and do. So that way, this Profar thing doesn't feel like it's blocking multiple guys. You've got Profar and left. You send Tolia to AAA so that he can get his regular plate appearances. For me, no re- no point in putting him on the bench. Nothing, no good comes of sticking Tolia on the bench as much as his versatility would be interesting as a guy who could come in and play either corner spot or first base, can match up with you, could be a defensive replacement late in games, and is also an interesting pitch hit, you know, matchup option because he's a switch hitter and has big power. Like, there's a lot of things that are interesting about his profile, but the thing is, Michael Tolia needs to be playing every single day. He needs to be getting as many reps as possible. These are the prime development years of his career and for a lot of these guys and if he's not going to be your everyday starting left fielder right fielder or first baseman or I guess DH but that would be weird and that's not going to happen because Charlie's got that spot as long as he's healthy so send him to AAA I guess let him play first base so at the very least you've still got him at the spot where you see him in the future and you've got him getting as many reps there as possible Hope that he can anchor that lineup and and really work on the strikeouts a little bit and and become, you, you hope he just tears it up, right? The best case scenario is you send him down there. You hope that guys like Nolan Jones, Michael Tolia, Brenton Doyle, um, you know, you would have hoped Sean Bouchard, but he's hurt now. Like those guys, right, really tear it up so that in the event that there are any injuries or, you know, maybe you get to this part where, like I said, this is the out of character thing, but maybe Mike Moustakis and Jerkson Profar, both of whom, by the way, and I hope I've made this clear, are players that I like and have liked for a long time. These are good, solid, quality veteran ball players, And I wouldn't even be shocked if Mike Moustakis has the kind of rebound that people are talking about, maybe a borderline all-star. I've always thought his swing, his his batting profile plays exceptionally for Coors Field because he's got gap-to-gap power and he does not strike out very often. This is back when he was good. Again, the last two years, 
his batting profile has just been a bad hitter who can't hit. <laughs> so, but before that, when he was his regular self, that's who he was, kind of a Charlie Blackman type at the plate, uh, which clearly plays well out here, right? And so I could see all of that happening. And then, and this is the big if, and this is where I can see people saying, they're never, ever going to do that, Drew. You trade Profar and Moustakis at the deadline to contenders who need veterans, who are playing well, who have uh, shown a bit of a rejuvenation, whether it's a little bit of the course field factor or the fact that they're just getting playing time or they're amped. And, you know, Profar is still 30 years old. He put up a two and a half win season a year ago. He, he may just be coming into the best version of himself a little bit as a ball player. But if you've done this, and you've given half a season to guys like Tolia and Nolan Jones. And I just went through the list. Brenton Doyle, these guys. Maybe even Zach Veen has shown that he's right on the cusp by then, right? If this best case scenario has played out, you say, okay, now they're ready. I do think there's some argument to be made that those guys need more seasoning in AAA. Like I said, for me, this season is already a wash anyway. So just get them the experience and the bigs. But... The Rockies appear to disagree with that statement and are saying, well, no, we just, we may, whether they don't think it would be fair to them or they don't think it would be fair to the big league team, whatever, they seem to be saying these guys need a little bit more seasoning. And so we're going to bring in these veterans in the meantime. No one signed on long-term stuff though, right? Now, the Rockies, of course, have shown in their history an unwillingness to trade their own guys at the deadline. But they have shown a willingness to trade guys that they acquired a bit more recently. The prime example that I can think of off the top of my head is Michael Givens, right? Now, it's a little bit different with a relief pitcher, but I do think it gives us an indication that there's a difference between, you know, are we going to trade Charlie Blackman or Carlos Gonzalez or, uh, you know, who Jorge De La Rosa at the trade deadline? And I understand people being critical of the team for doing that, but I also understand the team being like, oh, those guys are slightly different category of player for us. Right, But I don't think that either Profar or Moustakis is in that category. And I think we would all recognize that. I've also said before, and it's worth repeating, that I think Bill Schmidt should be given every opportunity to prove that he's his own man. I've already seen him do plenty of things that I don't believe that Jeff Breidich would have done. None, none of them are franchise-shifting things that are, you know, the, the big, huge blockbuster newsworthy. Like, oh man, the Rockies are a new thing now, right? But I do think in a lot of the frustration over Dick Monfort who, again, tends to get involved when it's the Nolan Arenado thing or the Troy Tulowitzki thing, or even to some extent the DJ LeMahieu thing because that was about how much money to spend and where, right? But Dick Monfort isn't really deciding what to do with Jerks and Profar. You know what I mean? He, he was involved in the Michael Givens decision, stuff like that. Those kinds of trades really are left up to the general manager. And I don't think there's going to be some kind of long-term, deep-seated he bleeds purple loyalty for these guys they just picked up in spring training, right? And so, now, I'll be eating all these words if the guys play really well and the Rockies are like five games under 500 at the trade deadline and they hang on to them both and then all of Profar, Moustakis, Crone, and Blackman leave the team for nothing in the offseason just because their contracts ran out uh, a la Jose Iglesias. You know, it like... That would be very frustrating. But I think, you know, I, and I've seen some people say, well, the Rockies just don't do that, man. They do, But let's see. Let's see what Bill Schmidt does. 
Because if he... There is a scenario whereby these guys, they should play well. I actually believe that both of them will play well. That's not my frustration with the acquisitions of these two veterans. I, I, I almost expect them to play well. And I'm going to enjoy watching them just because I enjoy watching good quality baseball. Uh, not that I think that it'll make the Rockies a quality team. Just their contributions will be quality. But ultimately, yeah, I, I don't think that there's a scenario under which these guys get through the entire season with the Rockies. And it's and unless they're unless everyone on the team is overperforming expectations and they just have a kind of season I wasn't expecting. And I guess these guys are the veteran glue pieces that they needed to bring it all together. And the pitching bounces back like, OK, that's a bit pie in the sky, right? That's that's not even the best case scenario I'm laying out today. I do think, though. Those guys having quality first halves of the season, getting numbers up that make other teams out there go, yeah, we could we could add that guy to our roster and we'd be real willing to send the Rockies a B-level pitching prospect or reliever or something like that in exchange. And then the Rockies have turned these reclamation projects into pieces of their potential future you acquire some young pitching that's going to be around and then at the midway point of the season you're sort of graduating an entire class of guys after the trade deadline right then you can bring up tolia and jones and veen and brenton whoever's playing well actually that's that's who you bring up right the the guys that are balling out at that point in the minors but you may have more of a, a solid class to bring up all together and sort of officially announce the next era of Rockies baseball, right? That said, I still hope Montero's in there starting at third base and Moustakis is used as a bat off the kind of in the role I was just describing for Tolia, a bat off the bench. You could slot him in in a couple of different places defensively, though he's not a defensive replacement. He's not, he's not an upgrade. He just can play some of the position. Like, for second if you needed him to, third if you need him to, first if you need him to. But again, I hope he's just bat off the bench, vet, veteran presence in the clubhouse and and all those things for the opportunity to, to get some at-bats, but you want Montero getting more of them. At this point, I don't know where Tolia's plate appearances come from, so I suspect they'll be sending him down to AAA. If he's on the bench, he's on the bench. Not what I would do. Frustrating move either way, like I said, because... I still wanted to maximize the plate appearances for uh, the young guys this season. If they're doing that in AAA and it works out, then I I will tip my cap and say, all right, you you did what you needed to do to get the best out of your players for the future. And I do still think that some of this is about that for them, that it's about putting guys like Tolia and Montero in the best possible positions to succeed, which they seem to think means not throwing them straight into the fire of giving them the everyday starting position. But we'll see where it lands at third base. It looks like the outfield is is pretty much set, though, now. Uh, it's going to be Profar in left. It's going to be Bryant in right. It's going to be weird in center field, mostly Daza, it looks like, after all of the talk, after all the consternation, after looking at Doyle and Veen and, and talking about it in the offseason and even sort of being in on the Nimmo sweepstakes for a minute until he was like, I want eight years. And they were like, we're, we're not in on that at all. Uh, you know, and now it's it's uh, just going to be Jonathan Daza again. <laughs> this team, man, is weird. Uh, but yeah, like I said, 
I'm not in love with the move, but I do still think there's an opportunity for it to work out uh, best for everybody. So let me know what you think of that, what you think the chances are that a best case scenario like that could play out. Uh, what have you seen from Bill Schmidt that makes you think, yeah, maybe he can pull this thing off? Or do you really think uh, there's just no way this is more Rockies doing silly, unjustifiable Rockies things? Let me know how you think and how you feel out there on Twitter. You can always slide into the DMs and ask me about the Discord channel. Other than that, I can only ever ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.